Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Before we start, this talk show is presented by Big Water Cabins. Big Water Cabins are located in Pillager, Minnesota, located just southeast of Brainerd, about 14 miles. No matter the season, the location of this home will always provide entertainment. Close to Brainerd, Nisswa, Gull Lake, Maddens, Craggins, Cuyuna State Park, Mount Skigull, Brainerd International Racetrack, and much, much more. The property lets you take advantage of many activities in the area, including fishing, skiing, biking, hiking, shopping, golfing, snowmobiling, and once again, much, much more. There are five total cabins sitting on four and a half acres. Only two are open until May. That means just two of the cabins being open in the wintertime. The main cabin can easily sleep 10. Cabin number two is one bedroom, queen, one bath, and has a full kitchen and living room. The saloon will be open for, the, for use during the winter months. In the saloon, there is a bar equipped with a mini fridge, pizza oven, dartboard, poker table, other games, and a smart TV. During summer months, all of the cabins are open and the property can sleep up to 20. High-speed internet, Wi-Fi, or high-speed Wi-Fi, sorry, sauna, smart TVs, dartboard, poker table, gas grill, and washer and dryer all available. The property offers privacy and fun. There's so much to do and we love hosting all groups. Whether you're looking for a family reunion, friends getaway trip, team retreat, or work party, all are welcome at Big Water Cabins. Visit airbnb.com backslash h backslash big water cabins for winter bookings and for summer, spring, fall bookings, visit airbnb.com backslash h backslash big water getaway. Let's get into the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome back to episode six of the Bauer Hour. O-U-R, hour. Once again, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. We're getting a lot of good feedback from people and it seems like we're gaining a little bit of traction. So that's awesome to see. I hope uh, if you are enjoying it, you know, tell a friend about it. Maybe share it. I don't know. Don't feel like you gotta. But if you feel like you're out, if you feel obligated or if you feel, you know, like doing that, we'd be happy to support you in that decision. I hope everybody had a great thanks, Pat, thanks, Patrick, St. Patrick's Day weekend. We're all humans here. We make mistakes. Hope everybody had a great St. Patrick's Day weekend. Wore a lot of green, partied their face off. Um, and enjoyed the weekend, whether you actually partied or you just kind of sat around at home. Um, I know I got to spend some time with some friends, some friends I haven't seen in a while. Um, and it, it was, it was an awesome time. So really cherish those moments you get, you get to spend with your people. They're, uh, they're few and far between and you never know the next time you're going to see, see some people or th those people, whatever. This week we have our friend John Ludwig. John and I played baseball together at Mankato. He grew up in Osseo, kind of next door to Maple Grove. We kind of knew 
of each other. Um, but yeah, became really close at Mankato. And um, John's got a good story to tell. John, and I think he's going to be able to relate to a lot of people. Um, very vulnerable for him to come on this podcast. So go show him some support. Reach out to him. Um, show him some love. John's John's a really good friend of mine. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to what he's talking about. Uh, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. It's uh, it's really cool that he was vulnerable and decided to come on. A um, couple things I wanted to note before we get into it. The Minnesota Twins making moves. We got to love to see that. Minnesota absolutely needs a spark. And I think uh, the Twins are making some moves that uh, might put us in a good position to win a couple ball games this year and maybe have some fun at Target Field. Who doesn't want to go to a Saturday ball game at noon or 3 o'clock or even a night game and just enjoy a beer with your family, your friends? I mean, it just sounds... It just sounds incredible right now. Hang out, watch some baseball, watch Carlos Correa hit some tanks, maybe Gary Sanchez hits a tank. Um, Sonny Gray throws a shutout. Uh, although we do we do need to pick up a couple more pitchers. Our pitching staff isn't the greatest, but I, I don't think we're done. I think we're we're still on the hunt and we're we're still trying to improve this squad. We're going out, we're spending money. I like what we're doing so far and I, I hope it continues. Um that's kind of all I have for you. I once again I appreciate y'all. I love y'all and I uh I really hope you enjoy this episode. I I enjoyed talking with John and uh he's got a lot of good nuggets for you guys. Let's get into it. Welcome back to, I don't exactly know what episode this will be, but I am sitting here with our friend, John Ludwig. What's going on? Went to, uh, went to Osseo, knew Mitch, went to, uh, went to Cato with Mitch, big bro at Cato, played ball with him, and then, uh, yeah, been pretty tight ever since, and, uh, wanted to have you on the podcast and talk a little bit about, um... Just some, some deep life stuff and uh, some mental health stuff, mostly. Um, mostly anxiety and kind of uh, a crazy journey through anxiety That's that's been an absolute wild ride. But uh, it's kind of a cool like life experience and, and uh, just learning a ton about life and, and what it takes and the peaks and valleys of everything for sure. But... Yeah, John John and I obviously played baseball together at Mankato, and John went and played baseball after Mankato. Yeah, indie ball. Indie ball. The Red Hawks. With the North Dakota, was it the Fargo Red Hawks? Yeah, Fargo, Fargo Moorhead Red Hawks. <clears throat> Fargo Moorhead Red Hawks. Yep. And honestly, you were probably one of the biggest surprises that never got drafted out of Mankato. Good I mean, old. being a six five, are you six five? Six five, seventh year senior. 
Six five. Spent yeah, <laughs> you spent more than a cup of coffee at Mankato, that's for sure. Um six five, what two hundred and fifteen, two ten? Yeah, it was. Through 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 pretty hard. Yeah, we got, we got to what ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, we got the the blowout elbow, the COVID year. Man, this is, that's a that's a tough ride. First year red shirt, third year blew out the elbow. Year I thought I might get drafted. Fifth year hurt the elbow again. Sixth year COVID. Seventh year just got signed and was already too old, and uh, had to really had to really bite it. Just accept the fact that you know that's the way it is you know there's nothing you can do when you blow out the elbow or have injuries like that it's just it's literally just the way it is and you kind of got to accept it but uh playing ball was cool it was a super good experience kind of realized that it's definitely not this the dream is there but it's not this glamorized life that I wanted to take like to pursue really and I just didn't want to be didn't want to be someone hanging on to something where I didn't see necessarily, you know, myself getting to where I wanted to be. I wanted to start a life, you know, and I knew that in my gut, but, you know, spring's coming around. I'm going to miss it pretty hard here when I see guys on the field for the first time. But what's interesting is, so when I played baseball at Mankato, I, uh, you go play at, you go play baseball and you're, you're around 40 dudes. You're around dudes all the time. You're structured. You got everything. You got friends, you got class, you got practice, you got just energy everywhere. And there's not a lot of time for you to think about other stuff or, or wander around in your head. You know, you're just kind of, you're just kind of there and you're just kind of having fun and you're just kind of going with the flow. So then the year you get out of baseball, you go to the real world, and that's what I did. And so I, I hung them up in September and get back. And I've always had issues with anxiety um, throughout college and in and out of, of troubles with anxiety since started when I was 18. 18, I had my first panic attack. And uh, since then, you know, it was in and out of when's the next one, when's the next one, when's the next one, when's the next one. And it just consumed me. But there were times where I didn't feel that way. But I noticed over time, you know, my life would shrink in certain ways any way where I thought that I was going to go meet that panic attack again or be in that situation, I avoided. And my life slowly shrunk over the years. And then once I left baseball, left Mankato, left my structure, left everything I knew, you go home, you get a job, you know, you're living with your mom at 25, right out of, you know, college, right out of pro baseball. It's a lot of time for you to just think, a lot of time for you to just be in your thoughts and you haven't you realize you haven't been in your thoughts for seven years and it's not like high school was hard high school is the greatest time ever it's easy it's whatever <laughs> you know so so you go home and, and you're just allowed to be in your thoughts and you know I think w- what I really realized is that this was always in me and I just prolonged it by staying at Mankato and, and playing baseball and almost used that as like a coping mechanism to distract me from you know issues going on in my mind so there was always going to be a time where I was eventually going to have to deal with this at the forefront and I didn't know I was going to go to the place it did but the day I get back from pro ball at my mom's house I'm excited I was pumped to be done with pro ball in like 100 games bus rides it's I did not like it but you get home and the first day I come back boom panic attack bang like well shoot like now what? Like, we're, I'm going to feel like crap for how long now? Like, this is going to suck. Like, what do I do now? And um, 
I eventually learned some tools and it wasn't really, when I say tools is what I realized with anxiety is, is all the thinking that I had around anxiety was how do I get out of this? How do I beat it? How do I, how do I make this end? And only thinking that way was what was actually prolonging the anxiety. And it's still, and it's a habit and it's still a habit I create today. Like you want it to go away so bad because it sucks. But the more you want it to go away, the more you think about it. And the more you think about it, the more it's there and the more it's there. It's just this cycle. And I got to a place where I was actually starting to do well with, with coping with it, you know, and I have panic attacks and I would learn that as long as you don't act on what your body's telling you to do, that fight or flight response, as long as you don't act and say, I need to run, I need to fight, I need to get out of this. As long as you just let that thing do whatever it wants, let your body do what it wants. Let all the thoughts be there that want to be there. Like it's, it's just this radical, utter acceptance to just literally take it on the chin, almost as if like you have a freaking gun and there's a tiger in front of you and you drop the gun and let the tiger just eat you and then just wait and then it's gone and then you get to move on with your day. But I got to a place where um, it was still just really bothered me and I never was a med guy and I tried a med and it didn't react the way I wanted it to and I found myself just stuck in my house. I became like I couldn't go to work. I couldn't go hang off my friends. I was absolutely miserable every second of every day at night. Like it was terrible. And I'm like, I need to go. I need to go figure this out. I need my life back. Like I have everything right in front of me, everything right in front of me. I have friends, good friends, good family, um, a job, you know, 25 years old. I'm healthy. Everything right in front of me. I'm just like, I need to go do whatever it possibly takes to, to get my life back and, and live a good life. So I go out to California in January, take about a month off of, well, a couple months off of work. And I could barely leave the house. And then I drive out to California. I get in the car and I can't fly because my anxiety revolves around being trapped. So like... So, so let's back up here for a second. <clears throat> when did you first, I guess, come to the... And then we kind of got right into it there, which is awesome. Um, when did you first, I guess, realize that you had anxiety? Um, when I was... When I was 18, so I think my, my freshman year of college summer, you know, a lot of times I had, I, I had anxiety throughout my life, I'm sure, but I didn't know that this is anxiety until I had the first panic attack. And the first panic attack is the one where you don't know what's going on. It starts to come up. You go, what is this? And then you're running and you're in your house. I'm pacing around and telling my mom to call the freaking ambulance. I'm freaking out. I'm like throwing up. And after that, all I can think about is like, when is that going to happen again? It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And that's consumed me, consumed me. And that's, that's where, that's where it started. And that like kind of became like, almost an identity of me is like, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? And that, that's where it started from there. And I had to separate, like, I'm not this anxiety. I, 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 I got to live with it. And if I live with it, 
I'm going to be able to tell my brain and my amygdala that we're not in danger and we don't need to send off these signals anymore. It's, it's very straightforward, but it is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And you, you mentioned the meds that you took. What, what medicine were you taking and do you think the medicine made it substantially worse? So I think with, with meds is like when you have anxiety, like with the way I do, or a lot of people do too, is like um, you are so in tune with your body, right? So like when I say I were to take anything that would change the way other than alcohol, change the way that like I'm thinking or feeling, I'm very in tune with how that's going. If my heart's beating a little faster, if my hands are a little sweatier, if my thoughts are racing a little bit more, I, I am very, very aware of it. So you take a med, and those first two weeks, you're going to have side effects. So all I'm thinking about is, you know, this med's making me worse, this med's making me worse, this med's making me worse. And it did, because it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I whirlpooled even worse from there. So I had a tough time ever getting on a med. And there was also a piece of me that was like, I, I just want to, I just want to do this off me. I just want, cause like, there's nothing wrong with anyone who has anxiety it is, it is a defense mechanism. It's something that's trying to protect you and you're interpreting it as, as a problem, you know? So like, the reason it's there is because you're interpreting anxiety as a problem when it's actually just trying to trying to protect you. So once I had to separate as no, this is this is this isn't dangerous, which doesn't necessarily help because when you have anxiety, you know it's not dangerous. And you do to a point know that it's not nothing's wrong with you, but you still just want it to go away. You know, so but when I went out to uh when I went out to California, I mean... So before you tell that, talk a little about um, when you went through it during baseball. Mm-hmm. And I know you said that baseball was kind of a coping mechanism and, you know, the time that you spent at Mankato or in the time that you were in pro ball, did you see it heightened throughout the years you were at Mankato and when you got into pro ball? Um... So something that's really interesting is... Okay, so I... I have high anxiety, but so anxiety is just like a form of energy and it actually is like a, it's a form of focus too. So when I played baseball, when I pitched, so I'm an anxious guy, like I just, I have having anxiety, right? So when I go pitch, actually, I would like use all of that energy to lock myself into the game. I made myself absolutely miserable, but I knew that the more... I was, it's like that stress hierarchy. The more I could use that energy to focus in on the game and basically just, I know this is going to be, I'm going to be nervous this whole game, be stressed this whole game, but I'm going to use that energy every pitch. Whereas like if I was pitching in fall ball, I remember pitching in fall ball and getting rocked. Why? Because I didn't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't like, I didn't have that focus, that stress level wasn't high enough for me to really like zone in and be like, I got to literally use all my, everything I got to compete and to, to beat this batter, to get this batter out. So I like actually you channeled that energy on the mound. It was actually really interesting. But the thing is, is like you go on the mound and any pitcher knows this, 
you're throwing your warm-up pitches in the first inning, your heart is banging, your stomach is churning, your hands are sweating, you are like, here we go, like, we're pitching, like, you're nervous, like, you're thinking about all the scenarios, what if I walk the first three guys, what if I walk the first guy in four pitches, all these what-ifs, they're there, but you just have to go, like, you just have to let it fly, and I used all that energy to lock myself in, and it worked for me. It didn't make it. It didn't make it necessarily fun, but that handshake after I was done with the game was the most glorious part of my life. That handshake after you just put everything you had into seven innings, nine innings, whatever it was, and you were stressed the whole time and just absolutely just locked in on on beating every batter, and you get that handshake. Good job. You. It's like nothing else. But like during it, all you're thinking about is, man, I can't wait to be. I can't wait to get off this mound, but you got, you have a job to do. And I, I, I actually enjoyed, I actually enjoyed that, that stress, but it's perceived differently. Right. So you think that it actually made you a better player because 100%, 100%. of it. 100%. I think that guys, I think that guys all have that to an extent but I think that they don't necessarily know how to channel the energy to focus. I think sometimes the stress hierarchy actually goes too high and they believe all the what ifs and they cycle on them or the stress hierarchy is too low and they're not focused enough. They don't like actually care enough. So you got to find like there's a perfect stress hierarchy when you are like in a sport where it's like you are focused enough using all that anxious, nervous energy to lock into what you're doing you have to find that sweet spot. There's a sweet spot in there. And that's why I say like fall ball, like where I would get rocked or like in the cage and I didn't do very well. But when I'd hop on the mound in a game, shoved or in college, you know, and I, and I was able to find that. I think it definitely helped. And I think a ton of guys, like a ton of guys have the same thing. I know I've heard of a bunch of big league pitchers who throw up before games. It's a real thing. And they go and just shove it. They're using all that. They're using all that anxious energy to focus in on the game, on the batter, on what they have to do. Like there's a there's an actual reason for that, for all that energy there. But when you have it out of nowhere and you're sitting on the couch watching a movie with your buddies, and all of a sudden that energy comes in, that panic, that for no reason, it's like, what the heck is this? Go away, go away. And then the more you tell it to go away, the more your brain thinks I'm in danger. Let's keep it going. <laughs> So <clears throat> now, like when, when you come to that sort of situation where maybe a panic attack starts coming, how do you cope with it? You got to take it on the chin. You I, just take it on the chin. There's nothing that you can go do. You can't punch a pillow or scream into a pillow or... No. You just no, got to so eat it, wear it. So I've seen a ton of doctors about anxiety. And they preach all the same thing in different in different terminologies. So what I've also learned is language matters. So with anxiety is is certain language will you'll be able to resonate better with it. So any anxiety doctor will tell you to normalize the anxiety, accept the anxiety, to surrender to the anxiety, to give up the anxiety, to it's all the same thing. It's all preached under just somehow letting it go. Whatever resonates with you is what you use. So for me, what I used, so, so one of the doctors I saw was about normalizing the anxiety. It didn't resonate with me. 
I couldn't, I was like sitting on the couch or sitting wherever at night, whereas my anxiety is the worst. And I'm saying, normalize this, just normalize this. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like I couldn't, I couldn't bring that on. So what, what worked for me was he told me I have to get used to being scared. That worked with me because the more I'm like trying to do the, like, telling myself to normalize or to accept there's still a piece of it there that's saying like okay i'm gonna accept it so it's gonna go away no accepting means accepting means this is gonna suck and i'm gonna have to let it suck i'm gonna it's gonna suck i have to let it suck i don't have a choice i have to let this suck so what i tell myself is i have to get used to being scared while you go through it because eventually eventually you'll normalize out, you'll, you'll come back to baseline, your brain will stop saying, we need to send out these signals, we need, we need to, you know, give them all these emotions, all these feelings, you know, those things, once you, once you really accept, once you normalize, whatever works for you, but certain things also resonate with me, so when a panic attack came, you know, it's the art of doing nothing, it's the art, so in simplest form is, is the amygdala is going off, because your your amygdala thinks that you are in danger we need to send him all the blood to his big muscles so that he can run or fight so if you are able to cognitively use your cognitive part of your brain to tell your primitive part of your brain that we don't have to run or fight we don't have anywhere to go we don't have to fight anything we don't have anything to run from you tell that like you tell that by your actions by just sitting through it your amygdala goes, oh, we can turn this off, and it comes down. But the hardest part is when you hit that peak of the panic attack, the urge of, I need to do something about this, is stronger than any urge I've ever had in my entire life by a billion. You know, how bad do you want it to go away? More than anything. But the only way to get it go away is to do nothing and wait it out, which is a really tough place to be. It's a really tough place to be but it's the only way. And the more you see it come down, the more you, the more your brain recognizes we don't need to do this as much. These are, can be shorter, and then they get shorter and shorter and shorter. And then the next step is going out and actually bringing it on yourself. And that's where like the hell comes in, the exposure, the putting yourself in the most scared position that you could be, having the feelings, having the symptoms, letting them just rip you apart and just sitting through it. And that's what I did in California. And that was hell. Oh my <laughs> God. But yeah, so that's a perfect transition. I mean, let's, let's talk about your California trip. You, uh, you obviously checked yourself into sort of, I, you call it a rehab facility. So it's like, it's a mental or, health treatment facility. So when I went out there, so the first month I was there, I was, impatient so like i would be at a house and we were in newport beach which is pretty sweet i mean newport beach can i think it was like zero degrees when i left and then i go it's like 72 in california it was pretty nice so i'm out there and i'm impatient and you go you wake up you go to the facility at nine in the morning you're doing all these groups and you're doing all this stuff and what i recognized pretty quick is like you know, I didn't necessarily need the groups. Like, I have good friends, good family, all this stuff. Like, it's just the anxiety. It's just the panic. I just need to go do these things to meet it, 
to feel it, to, to experience it, to get used to it so that in a way it becomes eventually just becomes boring. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. That's what I needed to do. So the groups became a little mundane. And then the fact of being impatient made it hard because what do you have to think about when you're impatient? Like you're in a house. I mean, you got to go like you don't have a phone for a lot of the time. You a lot of guys are, you know, that are there depressed, like they're in their room, like you're not really like doing a lot. And all you're thinking about is anxiety because what are you doing every day? You're trying to get through your anxiety. So it kind of backfired me when I was impatient a little bit until I started doing the exposures with the doctor I saw who was out there at the Orange County Anxiety Center. And then that's where I started to improve. But that was where I had to like find some some balls that I don't know, didn't think I have, still don't know if I have. That's where yeah, I had to dig as deep as I ever possibly thought I could. And that was brutal. So an example is before I left, um, could barely leave the house. So I had a safety safety item, Xanax, because you know if you have Xanax on you, you have a panic attack, you know that you take this pill, 10, 15 minutes, it's going to go away. But in reality, logically, the panic attack's only going to last, a panic attack can actually, your fight or flight can only last around 30, 30 seconds to a minute. So it's like, how fast, how, how like long could you run flat out? You know, like that's all your body can do. But can it, it can come in like little waves. But if you just take it on the chin for 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes, whatever it is, how long your body can do it, and that's all it can sustain, it'll come down. So the Xanax is actually logically not, not a factor. But I had such a strong attachment to it, so I had, I had to work on breaking it. So what they had me do is I had to drive farther and farther and farther away from it. And I could barely, think about this, I could barely leave the house. They were putting me in cars. I had to drive to San Diego, an hour and a half away. I'd have three, four panic attacks in that car. And when I'm in that car, they turn the heat up all the way. I'm breathing through the smallest coffee straw you'd ever see. You feel like you're suffocating. You have to hold your breath. You'd get out. They'd make you run sprints, spin around. I had to run a loop on my phone that says, I'm going to keep having panic attacks. They're never going to come down. This is never going to go away to try and get me to have panic attacks. It was brutal. And then another thing I did is I don't like being in small spaces. I don't like being trapped. I don't like airplanes. We go in the elevator. First day I get there, go in the elevator going down the elevator, and this is like an anxiety center, he hits this call cancel button on the elevator, locks me in there, <laughs> and I'm just sitting in the elevator for five, 10 minutes, freaking panic attack, panic attack, just, I just, he's like, good, like good, that's what we need. So he locked you in there and he left? He was in there. Okay. So he's like, good, like I, he, I, I saw him hit that call cancel button and my fight or flight went off in a second. Bang! Like, I'm like, oh my God, we're actually getting locked in this elevator. This is, the, this is horrible. I'm effed, I'm effed, I'm effed. That's all I was thinking. He's like, I'm like, I'm having a full-blown panic attack. It's like, good, great. Gives me breathing through that little straw. He's like, let's have you do wall sits while you do it. He's trying to make it worse. He's like, let's have you hyperventilate while you do it. And I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? Are you Hitler? I was like, this is crazy. But the more you try and make it worse, the more you become less afraid of it. And the more you become less afraid of it, the more it doesn't matter. 
that was the teaching. And like, I had to do this over and over and over and over again. And it was horrible, horrible. But I had, eventually I got locked in the elevator four or five times where I didn't give a sh I didn't, I didn't care. It was really weird. It was like things I never thought I could do, forced to do it over and over and over again, started to be able to do it. Now, to say this, when I'm in an elevator, is there still part of my brain that is scared? Heck yeah. Am I scared every time I'm in an elevator that's not going to open? Yes. But do I know that I can handle it? Yeah. That's the difference. So, but. Wow. I mean, that's, the, so they were just putting you in a bunch of different situations that just rolls your anxiety. Mm-hmm. This is a funny one. This is, uh, this is so weird. So, you know, the power tower at, at Valley Fair? Of course. So, <laughs> I haven't told you this, but, so, I remember going on the power tower. This is so random. Went on the power tower when I was in, like, high school. And when you're at the top, you know, you kind of sit there. You sit at the top. I don't like heights. I'm sitting there at the top, and all I'm thinking is, this thing ain't going to come down. We ain't going to come. We're stuck up here. I'm stuck up here. And I just panic attack. And then, I haven't never thought about it. This is, like, eight years ago. I haven't thought about it since. Me and a guy are talking about, like, uh, roller coasters and heights, and we're at, like, brunch. I talk about it. Like, literally see myself at the top of this power tower. Boom, panic attack. All I could think about for the next two days was me stuck at the top of this power tower. So it was, like, intrusive thought after intrusive thought about that. It was so weird. It was just the weirdest thing. So I tell them that. What do they make me do? I go to Knott's Berry Farm. They throw me on that thing. <laughs> and I rode that thing, like, three times. I, at first, they had me stare at it. Like, I had to go there, stare at it. And they threw me on it. And I was like, no, I'm not. I can't go on it. Like, no, you're going on it. And you said you said Knott's Berry Farm? Yeah, it's that, in... That's uh, like a Valley Fair type yeah, place? Yeah, it's in Fullerton. Okay. Oh, my God. But what happened is, like, I didn't care. And I don't think about it. Now I can just talk about it with you, and it doesn't bug me. Right. Yeah. So it's like, that's what happens. It's so weird, but it is... Well, before I actually went on it, I had to watch videos of, of the power tower over and over and over and over and over again. And I, she would pause, or he would pause it at the time where they're at the top. She was, I just have to stare at that until I, when I first did it, I was literally like backing away from the computer. So scared. And then after about 10, 15 times of watching it, I was like this, just hand on the chin. Just like, oh, okay. And I'd see it come down. Oh, it comes down. It's cool. What the heck? Why was I doing this? But still, it's it's still sucked. <laughs> but yeah, that's wild. I mean, they're they're just throwing you in these situations that, and then they're just escalating the mm -hmm. situations as much as possible and trying to just raise your anxiety to the highest possible level that it can get to. Yeah, and then you're just there and. You're just there coping. Yeah. So this guy, so the doctor I saw, his name is Dr. Shia, and he is no bullshit, dude. Like, he is a no bullshit guy. And I'm going in there, like, thinking, like, panic attacks are the scariest freaking thing of all time. How do we make sure that I don't have panic attacks anymore? And it was the complete opposite of that. And he kept saying, it's, it's just panic. It's just panic. Like, what do you mean it's just panic? This is the scariest thing of all time. What do you mean it's just panic? Like, and he was basically like, I would tell him like, 
Like, I don't want to do this because it's going to give me give me a panic attack. He's like, no, we want panic. We're going to give you as many freaking panic attacks as we can. Bring it on. Like, you got to have, like, bring it on. Like, I want more. I want more panic. Because the only way to get through it is to have it and normalize it and get bored of it. So my mindset went from I don't want panic to give me this. Because the give more I have, the faster this goes. And that's what he would say to me every single time. The more panic I have, the faster it goes. So, like, he was talking about, so, the doctor who I had, he was in Boston, like, early in his career, and they would do days of panicking people out, eight-hour days. Wake up, four cups of coffee, get your heart banging, bring them on subways, lock them in trunks, throw them in an airplane, throw them in an elevator, panic attack, panic attack, panic attack. And they did that, and they'd be done with anxiety disorders in a week. <laughs> wow. Now, I didn't want to do, I didn't want, when I remember sitting there and be like, let's freaking do it. I want to be done with this. He's like, you're not going to like that. I'm like, let's freaking do it. We never actually did that, but I did do the cups of coffee in the elevator. and the... I never actually, I haven't gotten on a plane still. I'm still working on trying to get on a plane without Xanax, but that's a process. But this dude is no joke like when it comes to that stuff because it isn't dangerous. Nothing's going to happen to you. It's all the same thing. It's all just we just have to we just have to do it like you just have to literally find the most inner courage that you've ever mustered up in your entire life and do it and then it, like he he gave me a good example he'd talk about this he'd say he'd say i don't like scary movies but if someone paid me a thousand dollars to watch scary movies and be scared for a while and have nightmares would i do it yeah he's like it's the same for you but it's your life it's not a thousand dollars he's like would if he, he's like, if someone paid you $100,000 to have a bunch of panic types, would you do it? I was like, probably. He's like, well, how much is your wife, your life worth to you? I was like, a lot more than $100,000. He's like, so then why aren't you doing it? Because it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to like, to like be like, all right, let's do it. Because I was still scared. I still am scared. But I'm now I'm in a state of like, I got to do it. Like, what's your, what's my life worth? You know, what's it worth? Like, is it is it worth this short period of fear? Or is it worth prolonging this for years and years and years and ruining my 20s, 30s? However long it would take. You know, like, it's worth everything. So it's, it's either you, it's either like, the way I looked at it is like, you either are in hell and you stay in hell because you're not willing to do whatever it takes or you're in hell and then you go through hell to get out. It's kind of how I saw it. It's like, it's like, what was I willing to do to like have a life? Like how much fear, pain, whatever you want to call it. Anxiety. I, anxiety. Was I willing to do to get through it? Because it, I knew it sucked because like I was always looking for like a way out, which was like either a medication or an avoidance behavior or like a, something called like neurofeedback or like working out a shit ton or like vitamins or like whatever it was like how am I like maybe it's like because I don't have enough vitamin d maybe it's because it's like my omega-3s are bad maybe it's because of this or this but it's like I was looking for a short-term way out like and what sucked but it's true is like I realized there isn't a quick way out like there's the only the hard work like there's only the actual work and like the balls you got to put in like the deep inner courage you got to put in. Like that's the only way. I was like, well, what choice do you have?
don't have one. So do they, do they, did they, when you left there, like, did they give you things to do every day uh-huh. to kind of raise your anxiety? And I, I do it now. Like, so I think we hung out before I left and I'd have Xanax on me. I didn't go anywhere without Xanax for years. No one knew that. Like it was in my wallet. Like I'd have little pills in my wallet, just ready to rock. Anytime I would maybe have a panic attack, like I would just think about, I would never take the Xanax, but I'd think, okay, if this is, if this is really bad, I'll just take one of these. I never did it. Never took it. Now I'm here, like right now, sitting next to you talking about anxiety without Xanax, like left it at home, you know? So like now I have to break that, but like that's, you don't see like that progress. All you think about is how you feel. Like I still feel crappy, but there's a ton of pro. Like I go to work every day without Xanax. Never thought I could do that. I'm here without Xanax, 30 minutes from my house without like, it's not an option. Like if I were to sit here and have a panic attack right now, all the only choice I have is to sit through it. And I have, that's the only way through it is like, make sure that you don't have another choice, but to accept it. Do you do like any like sort of breathing techniques or any do you shut your eyes, lay down? No, so just... that's the funny thing about what he taught me too is like people, like, so breathing is really good outside of the panic. But what he taught me too is like when you actually have like a fight or flight response, like your oxygen is, the reason you're breathing like that is I think is, that was the oxygen going to your, to your brain. To your brain, if you're breathing through your nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's directly so, to your brain. So like the more you try and do something like that, is like to make it go away like you're doing some type of breathing or you're doing some type of like anything like that the more you're kind of saying like this is dangerous like i need to do something about it when literally you just do nothing and it'll come down but when you see it come down it's kind of this there's two ways to look at it so sometimes when i have one after it's like that was terrifying i hope it doesn't come back or it's like that's it holy crap like i could do that again that's awesome like i could do that again and then it's like bring it on there's like two ways it goes and the more you like don't add that second fear of of that was scary I hope it doesn't come back versus like I handled that I sat through it I saw it through I just wow I did that really good and you give yourself that credit like that reward the more it normalizes the more you don't worry about it as much and then all of a sudden you don't have them anymore I'm not there yet but that's where the goal is but you're working on it Yes, sir. Oh, my gosh, yeah. But and Holy crap. I mean, what a journey you've been through, right? It's, and that's the thing is, like, why we want to talk about it is because how many dudes or girls, guys, how many people, like, especially our age, like, 20s, I don't know what it is about, like, people in their 20s, but, like, probably just so many life changes have these things, like, have anxiety or depression or panic disorders or generalized anxiety disorders or OCD or whatever it is, like, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter who you are. Like I went to college, got a master's, played professional baseball. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Good friends, good family, I'm a normal dude. But like, it doesn't really matter. Like it's anyone like have it, but it's the same thing as like anyone get through it. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone's got their beasts. And honestly, I I feel like a part of it is possibly a generational thing where I feel like our generation just for some reason has more anxiety and more mental health stuff that we go through or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people who are listening right now that are resonating with everything that you're saying and they're like, Oh, 
I deal with that as well. Yeah. And it's it's probably really cool for a lot of people to hear like a guy like you who, you know, at the forefront has all his ducks in a line. Like mm-hmm. you have all you like you said, you have your master's degree, you played professional baseball, now you have this fantastic job, but you're still battling these internal beasts and these internal demons every single day. Oh yeah. And the the crazy thing is like I'm out in California and I have a buddy, I won't say his I won't say his name. I don't know if you'd want me to say, but he comes out, well, he comes out and he has he's had panic disorder too. So like that's where you, you go out somewhere like that and you realize who are your friends that really love you and care about you, who are your buddies. We talked me and him talked about this all the time and I like didn't know how to express like I didn't know how to thank him enough for like a friend to like come out to California and help another friend through something he's been through. How do you think? Like how do you like that's like a I don't even know what words to say like on how appreciative you could be for a friend like that to like come out. He did every exposure with me like and he checked me at the door every single time that I wanted to to like withdraw. I don't want to do this exposure. You got to. You know, like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. You know, like, how do you, like, I don't know how to thank a guy enough for, like, coming out, doing stuff with me, like, for two weeks like that, and then driving back with me. Like, I I literally, and he's been through it. So, like, to see someone who's been through it, all the hope is there. So you know that there's an end. Because. Yeah, I mean, I think a good way to thank him, and you're already kind of doing this, is by paying it forward. And by, you know, maybe doing the same thing for someone for someone else mm-hmm. or doing the same thing for him if he ever goes back through it. Yeah. And one thing that's cool about what we talked about earlier, too, is like, is the way he did it with me. I use experiences in my life to help kid like other people at the where I was in treatment with their issues. Like they didn't have necessarily panic disorder, but a lot of kids or guys, or, or whoever was there, you know, they had their own things, and I, this is a funny story, so this is what I wanted to tell you about. There's this kid, and he was in the house with me. He's this 18-year-old kid, he's from Brooklyn, and I could tell he's like this fun, nice kid, and, um, you know, he had some demons, obviously, it's why he's there, but, and, uh, you know, we would just joke around together, and I thought we were getting close, and and this is so funny. And I'm a locker room guy, right? So, like, you know, we locker room talk. We guys slap each other's butts and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, this is so bad. But so one day, you know, we're getting out of the car and I slap this kid's butt, thinking, like, you know, like we're just joking around. Like, and not knowing that this kid has, like, had, like, been manipulated his whole life. Not knowing. Comes up to me a couple days later and he's like, Dude, when you slap my butt, you made me mad, uncomfortable. And I'll, I'm thinking before, I was like, it was nothing. I didn't even remember it. And I was like, oh my God, I am so sorry, dude. Like, I had no idea. He's like, no, it's not a big deal. It's just like, I have a lot of issues with like trust and stuff like that. So as time goes of us like getting to know each other and like, and talking and I eventually gained his trust. Because the reason I gained his trust, so he didn't think, he was like, why would you want to be my friend? You're 25, I'm 18. Like, why would you want to be my friend? He doesn't trust that anyone actually likes him because he's been like manipulated his whole life. 
he doesn't trust that like anyone actually loves him or cares about him. The reason manipulated by who? His mom. Okay. So the, so it was a specific person. Yeah. So the reason, actually, that he was like eventually trusted me, I'd give him shit. So he knew that I wasn't just being this nice kid to it. Like, I was really nice to him, and I treated him like as if he was just anyone else. And I would give him shit. I would tell him his hair sucks, or his clothes <laughs> suck, or like, dude, you look like shit today, or like, you know, just funny. You suck at basketball. Like, I'd give him shit, and we'd give each other shit. So he started trusting me, knowing that I'm not just trying to like, you know, suck up to him because. So he actually had, he had cancer when he was younger and he had like a 14 pound tumor in him he went through cancer he went through a ton of stuff so he had a lot of issues with just like just trusting people and and knowing that he was like was loved and I was so blunt with him like I remember him saying like like do you just give like he thought I just gave him attention or like wanted to hang out with him because I felt bad that he had cancer or that he was there or something like that and I was like I'll be honest with you I don't really give a shit that you had cancer like that sounds blunt, like, and I, I was like, I don't really give a shit, dude, you had cancer, I like, I'm like, I, I think you're a cool dude, I like, like, hanging out with you, you're funny, like, we have, we joke together, like, I, I'm like, I haven't thought about it one time, and because of that, like, he started trusting me, and every single night, we would go sit out on the patio, and we'd just talk about life, and I, he called me the, the fat nutritionist, because I would tell him all these things about, like, how, you know, like things that he, the way he thought about things he couldn't do. Every time he would say, we would, I would tell him something like how to, how he wanted to be an oncologist. He wants to be an oncologist. He's 18. So he, he, uh, he's got a lot of school to do and he keeps giving me every single reason in the book on why he can't do it. And I was, first of all, I'm thinking like, well, you had seven rounds of chemo, you had cancer. Nothing's going to be harder than this. But he gave me every single reason in the book why he couldn't do something. And every time he'd say it, I'd challenge him and be like, is that thought true? He's like, no. He's like, he'd go, but it's my black or white thinking. That's why I can't do it. But it's my chemo brain. That's why I can't do it. But it, but I have this like this issue with trust. That's why I can't do it. But it's every single thing he'd give me a but. I said, I swear, like every time you do that, you just, you're just giving me a reason you can't like, but every time you do that in your head, just check it, check it. Like, is it true? probably not you're I'm like you think you're the first you think you're the first guy who's you know had ADHD or you know issues with concentration or depression that's become a doctor like no (laughs) definitely not like there's no reason you can't do this there's nothing about you that says that you cannot do this and then I eventually like helped him try and like apply for community colleges and like got him going but I don't know we we would talk all night every night and by the end of it he was slapping my butt we were wrestling in a house <laughs> like we became we talk every single day and he's this 18 year old kid from brooklyn and he looks up to me like a brother and i look look at him like a little brother and it's was like this bond that i made with someone in three weeks that like was a stronger bond that almost than i've had with anyone in my life it was really powerful and it was like i'd never felt more of a gratification in my entire life of just like feeling like a good person then when he came up to me when he was leaving he was he was uh discharging came up to me he's like tearing up he's like dude you know the talks we had out on that porch was more therapy than I've had in my entire life and I was like I was like oh my goodness like I I dude I felt just something in my soul that was just like never felt better about 
anything. It's like, how can you, there's no price. There's no anything else you could do that's more gratifying than helping someone else. And not like, not like giving them a gift or not like doing something for them, but like actually like helping them with their life. There's nothing more gratifying than that. Like teaching them about like life because, you know, I had a lot of like life experiences through, you know, this and through baseball and through a lot of stuff like school and all these different things and having surgeries and, you know, issues of baseball and all these things and just kind of using wisdom and teach this 18 year old kid about stuff that he was never taught because of, you know, like life issues with him. Dude, there's, I never felt anything like it in my whole life. It was, it was awesome. That's amazing, dude. That, and that's amazing you say that because I feel like, like when you came to Mankato, that was kind of our relationship. It was. Right? Yeah. Like, and it's, I mean, it still is. Obviously, we're really good friends and like we still get lunches together all the time, but like we've always kind of had that big brother, little brother kind of relationship where you come to me for advice and I tell you about my life and you know we have a lot of really good conversations what's funny is like is you wonder if that ever goes away and now I'm 25 and you're what 28 yeah and I still look at you the exact same way as when I was 18 and you were two years older than me like it's literally the same thing in my head and I'm 25 like I'm grown man like I still see it the exact all right, so yeah, back to what we were kind of saying. Um, and uh, sorry, Amy called there, but we can we can cut and paste or whatever. But um, yeah, that older brother, little brother type deal. And you were saying you were saying Josh Matheson. And... It's you and Josh Matheson. So it's like, I I wondered like, oh, as we get older, it'll probably just be like you know, it won't be like that anymore. But I still see you, and it's literally the same thing. When I talk to you, it's the same thing. It's my sock to Josh. It's the same thing. Like, I literally just see you guys as big brothers. Like, I ask you guys questions about, like, things I don't know or want to know or or ask Josh about. Sometimes I'd still text Josh about random stuff or text you, and it's like it's still that that big brother feeling is there, and I'm 25 years old. It doesn't really go away. It's super cool, and then there's, like, when I got older in, in at Mankato, like I had my little brothers too, like Colin Dank, you know, and I hope that you know as time goes too, he's always gonna look at me like like an older brother. And he a hundred percent will. And like, the hopes and the cool thing for me is like, like we had that big brother little brother relationship, and now like you kept that and you did it with other people, and you almost. Like, it was almost like a passing of a torch, right? Yeah. And then you pass the torch off to someone else. So, and then they can do that for someone else. So I use all the stuff that you guys taught me, and I incorporate it into my life, and then I teach it to that, to those kids, Colin Dank, Nathan Cully, you know, younger kids at Mankato, and then they're going to incorporate that into their life. They're going to teach it to kids that are younger than them as they get older, and it's going to just keep going. And all those good qualities that you taught me and that I incorporated or Josh taught me and that I incorporated, I told Colin, I told all those guys, whether it was whatever it was about, that's exactly what I would teach them and tell them. It's super cool. It's such a brotherhood. It's such a, it's such a deep thing. It is awesome. Like, like, I don't know, like, where exactly I would really be, as especially in baseballs, especially as, as, as like a competitor where I would be without that big brother mentorship. I don't know where, you know, where Colin would be like without that big brother mentorship. 
and then the, whoever he passes it down to. It's super cool, and it's such a cool thing in, in sports and, like, team camaraderie where you have that. Uh, I mean, it's and it's key yeah. for every team. And, I mean, for you, like, you never grew up with siblings. Mm-mm. No, so... So it was... And I always... That's the thing is, like, I always really wanted siblings, and, like, it kind of sucked, like, being an only child. So I... So I really looked up to guys. You know, I really looked up to you. I really looked up to Josh. But, like when you know you guys would give me shit but when I wouldn't you do stuff that was like oh he really cares about me like there would be certain things you know Josh would give me so much shit but there were certain things he did that were like oh like he actually like really cares about me as a person where I was like oh so like he's actually just giving me shit like he doesn't dislike me and that's the same thing what I did is like I'd give those younger kids shit but if something was real like I I was always there, like always there to talk to him, always there to tell him like anything, any question. I didn't know. I do not care. There is no burden when it comes to a big brother, little brother type relationship. There's no burden. Colin could call me any time of the day, a kid like that, or Dave, my, my friend from California. You could call me any time of the day. I'll answer. I'll put whatever I have aside to help this kid out because like that's how like tight that, that, that little brother, big brother thing is because you it's almost like there's like a piece of you that's like in that person because you taught them a lot, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Like, and it's really cool. And obviously like I experienced it at Mankato as well, mm-hmm. like with older guys as in like Harvey or Hoppy yeah. or older guys that took me under their wing. And it's, it's such a cool dynamic. And that's why Mankato is such a awesome place is because you gain like, such good groups of friends and such tight relationships that continue to carry on after baseball yeah. and and they they don't like fizzle out like like I don't see Josh that much but when I see Josh it's like oh there's my big brother like he's going to give me so much <laughs> shit this weekend he's going to he's going to trash me he's whatever like that's all that's what I think about but it's like I love that guy you know, it's like in my head, it's like, oh, he's my big brother. Like, I'll see you. It's like, oh, he's going to give me shit or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's this interesting feeling, but it's like, oh, he's, he's actually, he's really there for me. You know, it's always so like reassuring to have people, to have people in your corner and just have people that, like you said, you know that you can call at any point in time. And making it s- such a point of like, when it's and 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 I feel the same way. Is like, you never you you feel like you're a burden sometimes. But when you're that big brother, like when you're that guy that's like really cares about you know the person that's looking up to you, there is never a time where it's like you're burdening me. You Ever. always want to be. You always you're you're almost excited to help this person. You are, like that's how I feel. Like you, you're excited. Like if if one of those guys called me and and they needed anything or they just wanted to talk or they whatever it was they needed advice about anything it's like an excitement of like you know i'm gonna help i'm gonna do whatever i can to help this kid out like because i care about him that much there's that strong of a bond you know i mean yeah that's you you just you pin the tail on the donkey dude yeah like and you it's it's awesome to know just like how much you get it and like how much you learned over the years and like where you were when you came to Mankato and where yeah. you're at now. Yeah. Like in the growth that you 
you've gone through. And it just, that's the thing about Mankato, though, is, like, you're left no choice. It's just funny. Mankato is the most sink or swim program of all time. You either figure it out or you, you don't. You either figure it out on your own or you don't. You either cave, and you see how many people have done it, like, cave at Mankato because they don't like whoever in charge, you know? Or they they dig they dig deep and they suck it up and they figure it out and there's a there's a method somewhere in there, but guys always figure it out. Like you're left with no choice. It's like, well, I'm here. I got good buddies. I got good friends. I'm not gonna leave. We're good. I gotta figure it out on my own. I'm gonna. Yeah, and I mean it weeds out the people that really don't want to be there. It weeds out the guys that aren't willing to, to to really dig dig in there and say, like, I got to find this. I got to find this somewhere within myself and just say, like, it's no one's going to no one's going to be there on the mound for you to to throw the ball like no one's going to no one can be like people can help you out. That's what I learned with mental health, too. Like no one can take a panic attack away from you like. These doctors, this is the thing, this is cool, like, I'm thinking about this now, is like, and I talked about this in groups, in therapy, is like, the therapists, the doctors, they're going to give you what you need to do, but nobody can be there at midnight, at, at night, or whatever time it is when you're by yourself, and you're in hell, like, you're, you're really anxiety, you're really bad depression, whatever, nobody can be there in your head, no one can go inside your head and do what you need to do, what you need to do for you. It's you. It's all you. Everything is all you. Like it's, it's that decision of, and you always know the decision in your gut. Is this the decision that's going to get me better? Or is this the decision that's going to keep me here? And I've been tested with that so many times. Tested with that every single day. Like, do I make the decision to take the easy route and not do my exposure today? Like, I don't want to go have a panic attack. It sounds horrible, but is that choice going to get me better and give me my life back? That's what you have to ask. And there's always that choice. If you're depressed, you don't want to get up, go to work, brush your teeth. If like whatever it is, like shower, you don't want to hang out with your buddies. Like if you make the choice to take that easy route, I'm not going to do it because I'm depressed and I don't like it and it feels terrible and I've done it. How do you think you're gonna get better? It's that like inner. It's just that inner thing you gotta dig deep for. And the more you keep doing it, the more it gets easier. And the more you look back and you're like, "Dang! Like I, I really did that myself. Like no one did that for me." There's a really huge self gratification there. But there's always the choice. It is literally, to an extent, once you know what you need to do, it's just a choice. So the therapists, the doctors. They show you the choice that you can make, and then it's your just it's your it's on you to make it. And that's what I really realized. Like with like, for me obviously with panic, every day is is the choice of like, am I gonna do what I need to do to like to get my life back, or am I gonna stay here? Because a lot of times you're like, I'll do it tomorrow. It sucks. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take a sleeping pill, and knock myself out at ten o'clock, nine o'clock, or am I going to go do something to, you know, go into the fear and get myself better? I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to be horrible. Honestly, it's, there's no sugarcoating that. It's going to be horrible. 
but it's going to get me one step closer, one step closer, one step closer. And that's the choice I have to make every single time. And it is in no way, shape, or form easy, but it's all on it's all on you. It's the same thing with, with ball or same thing. Like no one can no one can go make you hit off a tee at eight in the morning and no one can make you take extra ground balls and it's really that's like that's what I learned about life is like it's there's always just that that choice of staying stagnant or getting yourself better. It's all the same thing. It's 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 all the same thing. That's an I mean that's an amazing realization to have. So I remember I was in, I was in the therapist's office at uh, the the place that I was, um, and me and the therapist are talking, and I was just telling her, "It's like, gosh, she like I know exactly what I need to do. I just like can't find the courage to do it. Like I just don't know where it is. Like I I, I can't find the courage. Like it's so scary. It's so hard." And they, Doctor Shia, he's like he wants me to drive to like San Diego and have a and have a bunch of panic attacks. I'm like, how do you get yourself to do that? She goes, so you're here for another eight days. You have eight days to really work on this, like, while you're here. She's like, get out of my office and drive to San Diego right now. Kick me out of the office. I get in the car, pick up Hanno. We drive to San Diego. I had three panic attacks, two small ones. And this is where it was funny. Two small ones, and I'm leaving my safety item, obviously. We're an hour and a half away from it. This is the farthest I've ever gone from my safety item by an hour by far we're like almost into san diego and i'm like all right we're i'm gonna turn around he's like, all right like good job whatever and then i'm pulling off into the into the clover leaf on the exit look at my phone on the maps see an hour and a half back i'm getting anxious talking about this right now my hands are sweating but i'm getting onto the clover leaf dude i feel two just bangs of adrenaline into the stomach like my vision goes like blurry. You know when you get in that cold tub, like with your eyes? I'm in full panic. Like the strongest panic attack I've ever had. It was quick, but it was the strongest panic attack I've ever had. And all my brain was saying is you're effed, you're effed, you're effed. You're an hour and a half from your Xanax. You're effed, you're effed. Where's urgent care? What do I do? And then cognitively I go, nothing you can do. <laughs> you got to wear this, man. By the time I get off the clover leaf, driving back, it's gone. So like... If the choice that I made was, I'm just going to take this. Because I took it, it went away. Did it suck? Holy crap, yes. But was it, was it, did I with, like, the fact that I didn't withdraw shows my brain that I can do it again. It's like, it, and because that happened, they're like, oh, that's exactly what we wanted. I had to go back and do it the next day. And what happened the next day? I didn't have one. Nothing happened. <laughs> So because I was so fearful, I went back into it and did it again after my brain was like, don't go back there. Don't go back there. Panic, panic, danger, danger. And I go back there anyways. It didn't happen. And then then you build that association. But I remember that panic. That was like the strongest panic attack I've ever had. And I remember driving back, just having all the cortisol in my stomach. And right after it happened, I literally was like, oh, my God, Hannah. Like, holy crap, did you... I just had the worst panic attack. He's like laughing at me. He's like laughing because he's been through it. Like he's like, perfect. That's like exactly what we wanted to happen. That's why I did the drive. And I'm like, that sucked, dude. I'm never doing that again. I had to do it the next day. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal, man. That sucked. That's wild. It's, I mean, and it, that one probably only lasted, what, 
20 seconds? You said you were done by the end of the time you got... I asked Hanno. I asked, I asked Hanno. I was like, dude, how long How long before we got onto the exit around the Cloverleaf till we were back on the road? He's like, I don't know why. A minute or two? And I'm like, are you shitting me? I was like, I thought that was like 30 minutes. It felt so long. It was... That was a banger of a panic attack. He's like, it was literally like one to two minutes, maybe. He's like, yeah, I could, t- I could tell you were, you were asking me some weird questions and you almost missed the exit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know if I should have been driving, but that's what I'm supposed to do. I was like, okay. And the fact that I went into the, the doctor's office the next day and they're like, yes, perfect. That's exact. I was like, are you kidding me? What? They're like, yeah, you got to go back. And then I had to go back that night. <laughs> Would you attribute any of your anxiety to social media at all or like FOMO? I used to remember I used to have terrible FOMO and I, when I was early in college or like in high school. It's not FOMO. There is a huge piece of this though, and I'm I'm sure other people would resonate with this. So I do look at other people like Maybe it's you or maybe it's, you know, Tyler Burke, especially, or like other guys, like my buddies. And I go, I'd do anything to feel the way that they feel. I literally would cut off my leg right now. I'd cut off my leg and throw it out the window to feel the way that they feel. But like what you don't realize when you say something like that is everyone has like something, a demon. And you're, you're trying to tell, I'm trying to tell myself that that like my demons are worse when you have no idea you can't go into anyone's brain you can't go into anyone's brain and no and like if you we were hanging out today like together when I go hang out with my buddies they don't know there's no way of knowing I'm not I'm not like oh my god I'm so depressed I'm so anxious you know I'm not doing that and just I'm just being myself like you'd have no idea so like that FOMO piece comes from a little a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, but that jealousy and envy isn't true. It's not true. And, you know, there's probably people that look at me and say, like, this is going to sound, like, douchey, but it's, like, I have a lot, like, you know, good, really good parents, good, really good friends, you know, played baseball, college baseball, played pro baseball. There's probably a lot of people that look at me like, I would take, I would take his life. You know, I'd, that'd be fun, like, whatever but they don't know inside my head. And then a lot of times I go, I would, I would do anything to think the way that Tyler Burke thinks. Nothing bugs him. Do I know that for sure? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's no way to go inside their head. But that envy is there. Like it's, it's not like I, in any way, shape or form that I, that I dislike someone or look at someone differently because of it. It's more just like, I wanna feel what they feel. I wanna feel that normalcy. But it's like to get there, Again, you gotta make that choice to go through the work. But social media, a lot of times when I'm really anxious or you know depressed, I don't think social media is like a good is. It's not a good place for me to be. I mean, half the time I'm on there, I don't give a, I don't give a shit what anyone's doing anyways. Like on Instagram, what am I doing on Instagram? Like I don't even know what I'm I'm even caring about. Like it's just a waste of my time. But. Yeah, yeah, I think that all depends on how you look at it, right? Because you can look at social media as a positive way and a way to keep up with friends, or you can look at it in a negative way and be like, oh my gosh, that 
what are they doing? Like, so and yeah, you start comparing. So the negative way that I'd look at it is I'm not comparing myself to another person necessarily as a person. I'm comparing myself in a way as like, I'll go on Snapchat, see stories. I'll go on Instagram, see stories. I'd actually do this every day and I'll go on Instagram. I haven't really thought about this until I'm saying it right now, actually. I do this every single day. I never really spoke about this, but I'll see like people at the bars or I'll see people like on vacation and I'll see people like having a really good time at, you know, St. Patrick's Day. And it's like, I'm sitting in my head in terror, like in hell of anxiety and depression, thinking like, God, I would do anything to feel what they feel at that bar at that on in Mexico and just be like, why can't I feel that way? Like, why can I not feel that way? And it's like, that's depressing. It's like, I don't need, I don't need to be doing that. Like, that's why I stay off social media sometimes because I really do do that a lot. And that's, that's a time where it's like, you got to really check that at the door where it's like, first of all, you don't know what's in their head. So you can't really compare. You don't know if they're actually having a good time. They might be, they might not be. And second of all, it doesn't matter. You still have to make the choice. If you want to do, if you want to feel what you think they're feeling, you got to make the choice to get through it and do whatever steps it's going to take for you to get there. You know, so like there is a piece of social media, though, when I when I talk about that, that, you know, is a it gets you it, when you're going through something like that. It gets you, man. Like like I, I remember a couple of days ago on St. Patrick's Day, you know, you see everybody at the bar having a great time dancing around. It's like and in my head, it's like I was there. I'd be so miserable. Like I'd just be anxious. It's nighttime. Like I because that's where I'm most anxious. And I'd just be like, why would I even go? I'm just going to be. But that thinking of of that thinking and then trusting that thinking and then not going and doing it is going to keep me where I am. So I would just have to go put myself in that position. Go do it. Go see if that happens. Would it probably happen? Maybe I would be miserable for a little bit. Maybe I wouldn't. But the more I would go do it, the more I would, I would be fine, realize that I'm fine. You know, you have to go live the life. You have to incorporate your, your actual life. The more you sit in it, like sit in your thoughts and sit in all that stuff and, and not go live and do all these things, the more you're going to stay there. And that's what I've realized. Like, I know like today, for instance, you know, I'm sure a couple of my buddies are going to go to the bars and have, a, you know, have a couple beers or whatever it is. I'm not going to want to go because I'm going to be super anxious that night. And all I'm going to think about is what if I have a panic attack and then I have to leave and then I, I feel like crap all night. And then like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And if I listen to those what ifs, I'm gonna go sit my ass on the couch, take a sleeping pill at whatever time, go to bed early, wake up, say I'll I'll do it the next day, I'll get better the next day, or make the choice of I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna be scared, I'm gonna do it anyways, I'm gonna keep doing that, I'm gonna keep doing that, and I'm gonna force myself to live. By doing that, I know that that's what's gonna get me better. Yeah. And I mean, in drinking in moderation, probably, because drinking an excessive amount, obviously, is going to give you, and it's going to heighten your anxiety. Well, I'm not anxiety. saying, I'm not saying the drinking piece, like, I don't really drink that much anyways, I just, I'm talking about, like, You're just, just saying putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, or... Just saying situation. living a life, 
Because right. when you have anxiety, dude, anything is hard. Living in the, like, li- like, just living is hard, dude. Like, it's, you know, the simplest things are really hard. You know, you'd think, why would be, why would going to Park Tavern with five guys, you know, at, you know, on a Saturday night be hard? It's hard about that. When you have anxiety, it's, it can be hard, dude. Like, especially if that's your association, like your association is to the night or it's to like, certain things like those things can be hard and no one will no one unless they've been there will understand that but i'm sure a lot of people listening will if they if they felt it before the simplest things can be really hard and everyone has their own pieces of association whether it's like the workplace you know i have friends that have associations to the workplace as being like high anxiety and that's a real thing so every time you go into work you're anxious you got to keep going and keep going and keep going. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep pushing yourself until it just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, you got to you got to live your life. And you can't live your life in fear, right? Mm-hmm. And if you do live in fear, then you got to push through that fear. Yeah. And learn to normalize it. Exactly. Exactly. Um I I got kind of a Wrigley's waking up here, so we kind of got to wrap it up here in a little bit, but I got another question for you. Um, long-term. So obviously like you came out of this facility, you just got back last week, Saturday, Saturday. So like this, all this information's fresh with you. Right. So like you just went through all this high exposure, like it helped a ton right now. Right. It's very short term right now. So long-term, how are you going to continue to deal with this on a day-to-day basis? So like long-term, the way I look at it is like, I still have to do whatever I can to go through it. So like I have to continue all the things I was doing. So if I go out to if I go out to California, I do all this stuff, I make progress, I come back and I just go back to what I was doing, I'm gonna be right back where I was. Yeah, exactly. And what was the point? I just dropped a bunch of money, like left work for a month, like just took my life on hold for a month, two months, just for nothing. I'm not gonna do that. Like I'm already I'm already in the game. Like, I'm already playing the game. I'm not going back. I'm not, like, you can't go back. Like there's, and why would I? But long term, I mean, f- like, for now, I got to go do all that crappy stuff. I got to keep doing it every single day. And it's continuously, like, like I know for my, like, myself, like, tonight's going to be, like, tonight's going to suck. Like, I'm going to be anxious the whole night. I'm going to be hypervigilant. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be worried about panic attacks. And I'm probably going to have to sit with one. But I'm going to have to do that until I get to the finish line. Once I get to the finish line, the world is my oyster. <laughs> and then at that point, it's, it's normal to you. Yeah. You know? Like, we don't think about it anymore because you don't fear it. Right. Your nervous system's like, oh, we're good. We don't need to shoot off at fight or flight anymore. So before we end it here, what, I guess, any, like, nuggets or any good advice you have that you want to leave the listeners with? I liked what we were just talking about with like that, what I really saw in myself and what I really figured out is, is that choice piece is like, if you're going through something like this or your you know, anxiety or depression or anything that it is, is like making the choice every time that you know, this is going to be hard to make the harder choice because 
in knowing in your gut and in your soul that if like you don't make the harder choice you're going to be where you are and trying to look at things in a long-term perspective and like a long-term freedom aspect like that choice is everything and that day-to-day choice of I'm going to do this because this is good for me and I'm not going to like it it's not going to feel good but I'm going to do it because I want I want to to be happy and I want to feel good and the only way for me to feel good is to make that hard choice and, and get through it over and over again with whatever it is and that's where I think that that long-term happiness comes in because you'll take that with whatever you else you do you know if anyone whoever has mental health probably knows that like mental health issues probably knows there's really nothing in your life that's harder than that I mean there's obviously certain things but it's with you every single second you know so you don't want to be in it for that long so you got to make those hard choices and it's it's going to be there until you until you really decide that like this is what I want to do like this is where I want my life to be I know what I need to do I'm gonna make the choice to do it and do it and do it and do it and know that it's gonna suck but it's the only choice you got it's the only choice you got and I mean you coming on here and being as vulnerable as you were is like that that takes just an incredible amount of courage and like I said, I think there's gonna. I think this is gonna resonate with a lot of people, and especially you being a guy. Like it's not easy for a guy to be vulnerable and be like, I deal with issues every single day. That you know. But one like you say that that's another nugget I'd like to like put in is like, in my head is like who, who, I don't care. Like I don't. Who cares if you, if you have these things, right? Like so many people have them. Like. I don't care if it, if if someone judged me based off something like this. I don't want them to be in my life anyways. Like someone I'll weed out those people. If like a a really good like a good person, like a true friend, they don't care. Like th- this doesn't this isn't me as a person. Like this is I'm not I'm not anxiety or depression. Like who who cares? Like who cares if it's if it's something like this? It's just like in my head, I don't give a crap what anyone thinks about what I would have with mental health. I could seriously don't care. All I want is for myself to feel better to live a life again. And then by talking about this, for other people to think like, who, like I don't give a crap what anyone thinks about it either. Like, why would you, there's no reason to care. Right, why would you? And you, you, you said it perfectly. If there's gonna be someone who gives you crap or like doesn't, or talks crap or whatever it is about you, you know, having mental health issues like that that's on them and another thing too is like if if someone tried to put a stigma so like a lot of the stigma is what weak you have mental health issues you're weak right yeah that's what i was kind of getting at i think honestly is the people that get through that have mental health issues and and do the work and get through it are stronger than any people i know because it's probably one of the hardest things to do it's with you every single day every single minute and to get through something, the the courage that you have to muster up, the work you have to put in, the pain you have to go through, weak is not the word. Weak is the opposite of the word. So anyone who wants to use the word weak when it comes to getting through mental health has no idea what they're talking about. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's just... 
Right. I mean, yeah, you're strong, dude, and it's cool. And I think, like, anyone who's listening now, if you're battling some demons or if you, you know, whatever you're going through, just know that you can always reach out to, you know, obviously your friends or your parents. And if you're not comfortable reaching out to them, reach out to me or reach out to John. Even uh, even if we're not that close, like, always be an ear to listen to someone's issues and if you can help in the slightest way that's a pretty amazing thing absolutely yeah i've had a bunch of people that i've reached out to that i didn't even know that well but i know that they dealt with stuff like this and i was just like hey man what'd you do what'd you do like what does it take and just kind of taking snippets and then finding what resonates with me and using it and honestly like anyone listening whoever deals with this like if they like anyone that ever wanted to ask me like what does it take what do you need to do you know i would be more than more than willing to talk help anything because this thing sucks it absolutely sucks and i would anticipate probably a couple people will reach out to you after this and just be like one tell you how cool it is that you came on here and you talked about it and two just to you know maybe get advice and see the experience hear the experiences or more experiences that you went through mm-hmm. absolutely well it's awesome dude thank you so much for coming on i honestly i hope you come back at some point and uh you know we can talk about other stuff or we can talk about the same stuff but i know you've done you know even though you've battled all these demons your whole college career and you know a little bit after you've you've got a lot of really cool stories as well to tell and i know that um, you being such a good, the fantastic ball player that you were. Um, so yeah, I think people would like to hear, hear from you again. I thought this was an awesome conversation. I think you speak about it incredibly well. Like I, I couldn't stop listening to what you were saying and I just, I didn't even want to talk. I just wanted you to continue to talk about it, honestly, because it's, it's so interesting and it's so awesome to hear and watch your mind talk through it. And like you have this amazing understanding of how your body works and how these things come about. Yeah. So thanks. Absolutely. I mean, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. This is cool. I've never done this stuff before, <laughs> man. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, and if you ever want to reach out to anyone, you know, John and I are always here to, uh, always here to be in ear so hope you guys all have a good rest of your day and uh keep loving <laughs> <laughs>